So this summer, our sermon series and the workshop I was telling you about on Thursday nights are designed to help you answer a very practical question. And that question is, how do you most naturally express your love for God and feel God's love for you? Not everyone is the same. We don't all express our love or feel loved in the same way. And so we're gonna look at some of the different spiritual temperaments that are described in Gary Thomas's book, Sacred Pathways. It's a great book, I advise you to get it and read it if you can. Uh, we're gonna draw some examples, some advice from the scriptures, of course, but we're gonna jump all over the Bible as we do that. So it's gonna be very different from the Habakkuk series that we just finished. Uh, that was more focused, very theological, and we went through the book in order. This is more broad, more topical. And the reason we're doing this is twofold. For longtime Christians, you probably have a certain idea in your head of what spending time with the Lord looks like. If I said to you, I need to spend some extra time with the Lord today, you could make some assumptions about where and how I might do that. And for new believers or people who haven't yet made a commitment to Jesus, you may have no idea what that means to spend time with the Lord. And so this series is gonna help both of you, both the longtime Christians and the brand new ones, to open your mind to new ways of connecting with God. And hopefully it'll help you to figure out which way suits you the best at this particular time in your life. So let me give you um, an illustration that'll help you see why we need to consider our spiritual temperaments, as Gary calls them. I'm just gonna call him Gary. We're gonna pretend I'm on a first name basis with Gary Thomas for this series. So if I talk about Gary, you'll know I'm referring to this author of that book. Um, so here's an illustration. I have four children and they're all teenagers now. Some are off to serve, but um, when they were little, it was very common for them to suddenly get some mysterious illness. Uh, parents with little children, you'll know what I mean, right? All of a sudden this one has a rash. Uh, that, that one is coughing and uh, this one just threw up, and, and that one says their wrist hurts. And so it's a constant debate of, are they sick enough to go to the doctor? What do we do here? Do we wait and see? So when they were little, my go-to for pretty much anything was to give them a dose of children's Tylenol and see what happened. <laughs> uh, it didn't really matter what was wrong, just give them that Tylenol and wait and see if the ailment goes away. But of course, Tylenol isn't going to help if they're having an allergic reaction, or if they have whooping cough, or if they're throwing up because they have food poisoning, or if their wrist hurts because it's broken. Um, the Tylenol is great, it helps with a lot of things, but it isn't suitable for every single person in every situation. And sometimes, in very rare occasions, it might even be harmful. And so Gary says the same thing is true about our spiritual needs. Um, we tend to give every Christian the same prescription. Read your Bible, pray, go to church, and then you'll feel closer to God. Well, what if that doesn't work very well? What if reading is a real struggle for you and you get restless and bored? What if you fall asleep every time you try to sit and pray with your eyes closed? That never happens to anyone here, I'm sure. Right? <laughs> what if singing in church just doesn't appeal to you? Uh-oh. Then what? Does that mean that you're a bad Christian? Does that mean that there's no enjoyable way for you to connect with God? No. 
And now, I'm never going to tell you that scripture and prayer and community with other believers are not necessary. They're necessary. They're vital. But there are other ways to engage scripture and prayer and community than we often think of. And so the traditional daily quiet time or your devotional time that we encourage people to have, where you're expected to sit quietly alone with your Bible and pray to God in your heart, that isn't always sufficient for a thriving relationship with God. Even if we love doing that, even if that suits us perfectly, there are times when our routines can get old and can get stale. And each one of us is made so differently. We connect with God in different ways. And so that's what this series, Sacred Pathways, is all about. Each week, we're gonna look at a different spiritual temperament, a different way that helps some people deepen their relationship with God. And so inevitably, some weeks, you're gonna think, oh yeah, that sounds great, I'm gonna try that. And then on other weeks, you're gonna think, hmm, who does that? That's really odd, no, that sounds awful. And so, but I hope by the time you get to the end of this series, you're gonna understand yourself and other people a little bit better. And you'll have some new ideas for how you could try worshiping God in some other ways than how you usually do. So which spiritual temperament are we starting with today? I'm not gonna tell you yet. There have been a lot of clues behind me and in the music this morning, but first I'm gonna read you three scriptures uh, and then see if you can guess. Psalm 19, verses one to four. Can we put that on screen? Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And then the third scripture, Matthew 6, 26 to 29. This is Jesus speaking. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. So how do you think that Jesus got this insight into the Father's love? How did he realize that God is surely going to provide for people and that we don't need to worry? Was he sitting inside reading his Bible when this insight came? I think probably not. I think he must have been outside looking at the birds of the air and admiring the flowers in the field when he thought of this illustration, right? That would make sense. And these scriptures confirm that God speaks to us through what he has made, through creation. We can learn things about God from the world around us. And so the first spiritual temperament that we're looking at today is what Gary calls naturalists. These are people who find that they pray better and they hear from God more clearly when they're outside in the beauty of his creation. These are people who surround themselves with nature, with the beauty 
of what God's made in order to connect with God. That's how they seek him. And I really wish we could have held our service outdoors today. That would have been appropriate to this message, but logistically it's pretty difficult for a congregation of our size to do that. So we set up this outdoor scene, this camping scene, to inspire us here. Thank you, Fiona, for doing that. I think the many Christian camps that we have uh, are probably founded by people with this spiritual temperament, these naturalists, because they know some Christians just need to get outside and away from the city and into the great outdoors, into the wilderness to really connect with God in the most authentic way for them. And so if you love being out at Keats Camp, that's one of our camps that we support. If you've been there and you love to sit and sit around the campfire, look at the stars and worship, or if you swim in the ocean and walk along the beach and explore all the different critters that God has made, you know, you might be a naturalist. That might be your spiritual temperament. Or you might be a, a nature photographer, or a gardener, or a farmer, or maybe you're into horses, or bird watching, or shelter animals, rescuing them. You know, in all these ways, we explore God's creation, and uh, people who love the Lord can worship him in all these different ways. We hear God's voice teaching us through these things. Now, at first I thought, there's no way I'm a naturalist because I'm quite happy indoors. <laughs> I'm not athletic at all. I don't do outdoor sports. I don't do camping or even gardening, you know. Um, but then I realized that actually, even so, some of my most memorable lessons from the Lord were when I was outside. So one moment that has stuck with me was in 2014. I was at Mill Creek Camp in Alberta. And I know I said I don't love camping, but I did work in the office and the tuck shop of that camp for a summer, and I gained a much greater appreciation for camping ministry. So one day I was sitting there by the creek, and I was feeling exhausted. And I felt like I just had nothing left to give. And that could have had something to do with the fact that I just started a full-time job and my kids were 10, 8, 6, and 4. <laughs> so I was tired. And I was looking at the creek, and I just suddenly felt amazed that there's always more water coming along. You know, it just keeps flowing and just keeps flowing, day, night, whatever. There's, there's the water going past. Where's this all coming from? How does this happen? That creek never dries up entirely. The water level might be higher or lower, but it's always there. And I remembered in that moment how Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit as rivers of living light, rivers of living water flowing from within us. And I felt him reassure me that the Holy Spirit doesn't run out. You know, he keeps on flowing into us and giving us strength and then flowing out of us in our ministry to others. And so I was so encouraged because I knew that even if I'm tired, I'm not empty because the Holy Spirit dwells within me and his power doesn't run out. So I knew that he would refresh me and continue to flow through me if I would just keep on trusting him. So that's one of the ways that being out in nature helps us in our relationship with God. It often helps us visualize and understand the truth of scripture in a new way. So much of the biblical teaching, especially Jesus' parables, are about um, the natural world. And you know, he, Jesus told parables about farming and about plants and about animals. And we can read that while we're sitting inside and imagine it or we can read it while we're sitting outside and actually look at some of these things, and it can hit us in a fresh way. And we can also see certain things about God and nature that we're not gonna experience when we're sitting inside. You know, when we feel the power of the wind, 
and the waves crashing, and we realize just how powerful God is. Or we, we see tornadoes or lightning, thunderstorms, this vastness of God when we look up at the stars and the planets that are light years away, or when we see the creativity of God and this diversity of all of the little critters he's created. Um, they're all linked together in some way, all the food chains and webs of interconnection. Um, God's love for community and interdependence, it's right there as we look at creation and ponder it. And so naturalists also learn to rest a lot better than some of us. Rest is a gift from God. He instituted the Sabbath day for humans to rest. And so nature, of course, has seasons. It's not always productive. It's not always blooming. I put these orchids here as a little illustration. This is mine that's in bloom right now. But orchids only bloom for a couple of months. And after a few months, all the flowers fall off and they look like this. But this one is not less valuable than this one. They're both orchids. And this one will come back in its season at the right time, it will bloom again. And sometimes we pressure ourselves to always be looking like this. We've always got to have it all together. We've got to be blooming. We've got to be productive. We've got to look great. But sometimes we're this, and that's okay, right? Nature gives us examples of how to rest. It demonstrates for us that rest is necessary and uh, that relaxing is okay and not producing is okay and just being with God is a good thing, even if we're not doing anything for him, just being together with him. And then spending time outside, it actually reduces our stress, it lowers our heart rate, getting outside, and it improves our mental well-being as well. I want to read a short poem for you by Wendell Berry. I don't know if you know this guy. He's a Christian author, he's a farmer, and he's an environmental activist as well. And this is his, one of his most famous poems called The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world, and I'm free. That sounds a little bit similar to me to what Jesus said about considering the flowers of the field, because they don't worry. God still looks after them, and we can do the same. So those with this spiritual temperament of naturalists can help us learn how to rest better, how to be with God and let go of some of the stresses of life. But um, Gary, in his book, warns that there are a few temptations that those who are naturalists by nature can fall into. Um, we never want to idolize nature or start worshiping what is created more than the creator. God teaches us through nature, but he's not contained in it. Right? That would be pantheism, to say that Mother Earth or the, the creation is God. That's not what we want to believe. Right? God created everything, but he's not in it, per se. He teaches through it to us. And there's still a lot about God that we're going to need the Bible to understand. We can't learn everything about God from nature. Right? This is what 
uh, theologians call the difference between general revelation, which is what we can learn about God through the world he's made, and special revelation, which is how God has revealed himself in his word. And we need both. We need the general revelation and the special revelation of God. Sometimes naturalists can become a bit too individualistic in their faith. So even if your very best conversations with God happen when you're outside alone, you still need community to grow spiritually. You do. You still need to pray for others and to be prayed for and to use your gifts to serve other people and to be corrected and to correct others. We need community. And so sometimes we might think that when we're out in nature, we hear something or learn something about God that doesn't quite fit with who he says in his word. And we end up with a little wacky theology on occasion. And so living in community with other Christians can help to prevent that. It can help us filter everything that we think about God through the wisdom of the church and through the scriptures. I think many of those who wrote the Psalms were naturalists. If you read the book of Psalms, um, there's so many that talk about creation and the wonder and the beauty. And some of the songs we sang were based around some of those Psalms. Um, they might just, I think they were naturalists partly, maybe not entirely, and you can have more than one spiritual temperament, okay? We're not using this series to try and put everybody in a closed box with a label on it. Um, we want to encourage us to try different ways of connecting with God and see what resonates. So you can have more than one. You can be a naturalist and something else, and something else. That's okay. But so many of the Psalms uh, were written by, I think, naturalists. Psalm 104 is a great one. If you're taking notes, go and read that one later. It's a bit too long for me to read right now, but Psalm 104 talks about creation. It's beautiful. And then Psalm 8 is one of King David's psalms. And as you know, he was a shepherd before he was a king. So he spent a lot of time outside, um, alone with the sheep. And I can imagine him writing this psalm um, while he was watching over the flock at night. Psalm 8, verses 3 to 9. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's the heart's cry of a naturalist. They see God's majesty and glory through the creation that he's made. And so spending time out in that nature helps them connect with God. It inspires their worship. And that's the goal of all of the spiritual temperaments that we're going to look at in this series. The goal is to deepen our relationship with God. In a few moments, we're going to come to the communion table. And that is a perfect reminder that having this relationship with God was so important to him that Jesus came to die for us. There's a song we sing that has a line in it that says, you didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. You know that song. And so if Jesus would sacrifice his own life to give us his Holy Spirit, to be with us, to be united with us, then surely we want to deepen that relationship and to become closer to him in whatever way uh, he has made us to do that. And so at this table today, 
I think we need to evaluate where is our relationship with God at? Is it a little dry? Is it a little stale? Do we want something more? Are we hungering and thirsting for more in that relationship? And what are we going to do about it? What could we try to draw closer to God? I want to read a, a little bit of a lengthy quote for you. This is from Rob Reamer, who's an author and a seminary professor. And this is what he says about um, being close with God. Too often, we ask the wrong questions in life. We ask, are you spending time with God? But the right question is, is your spiritual rhythm working? Your spiritual rhythm is what you do on a daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly basis to connect deeply with God. How do you know if your rhythm is working? Well, are you loving, more loving this year than you were last year? Do you love God and people more? Jesus said this is the most important thing. If what you're doing with your spiritual practices doesn't produce more love in you, then it is just religious. Are you free and full in Christ, or are you experiencing bondage? Are you hearing God's voice and experiencing God's presence? Are you growing deeper and closer with God? Do you represent Jesus better in your interactions with others than you did a couple of years ago? If the answer to some of these questions is no, then you need to change your rhythm. Seek the Lord and say, I feel stuck, plateaued. What do I need to do differently to experience renewal and fresh fervor in my relationship with you? And this is the part that really hit me. The Pharisees read their Bibles, fasted, prayed, and did a lot of spiritual activities, and they crucified Jesus. So the right question isn't, are you spending time with God? The right question is, is your rhythm working? We need to consider that as we come to this table today. So let me pray for you. Lord, thank you that you made each of us differently and that there are so many ways that we can connect with you and discover more of who you are. Thank you for your word that you've given to guide us. And thank you that it points us to the creation as an opportunity for us to learn something about who you are and how you work. Lord, I pray for each one of us here that in whatever way you have made us, that we will connect with you, that we will draw closer to you, that we won't limit ourselves only to sitting and reading, but that, Lord, you would use that as a prompt to do other things, to find you in new ways and in new places, to experience your presence with us at all times, and to grow closer to you in love. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross we recognize this immense sacrifice today, and so we come with open hearts, Lord, to listen to what you would speak to us. Amen.